let's get settled. We lost uh, a little bit of time here already, so let's begin. Now we're in 2 Samuel chapter 1. And let's begin. I'm going to read some verses to uh, set the stage here for what's going on. Verse 1. Now it came to pass after the death of Saul when David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, and David had stayed two days in Ziklag. On the third day, behold, it happened that a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. So it was when he came to David that he fell on the ground and prostrated himself. And David said to him, Where have you come from? So he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. Then David said to him, How did the matter go? Please tell me. And he answered, The people have fled from the battle. Many of the people are fallen and dead. And Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead also. So David said to the young man who told him, How do you know that Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead? Then the young man told him, said, as I happened by chance to be on Mount Gilboa, there was Saul leaning on his spear, and indeed the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. Now when he looked behind him, he saw me and called to me, and, and I answered, Here am I. And he said to me, Who are you? So I answered him, I am an Amalekite. He said to me again, Please stand over me and kill me, for anguish has come upon me, but my life still remains in me. So I stood over him and killed him, because I was sure that he could not live after that he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head, and the bracelet that was on his arm, and have brought them here to my Lord. Therefore David took hold of his clothes and tore them, and so, he, so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son, for the people uh, of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. So this setting here, now remember that David was anointed before king, but he hasn't quite yet made it all the way to what the Lord was desiring for him to be king over Israel and Judah. So at this particular time, and we'll see it in the next chapter. They're going to take David. He goes, he asks the Lord, where should I go? And the Lord says, go up to Hebron. So he goes there, and, and we'll look at that in a little bit. Uh, I'm sure you already read this. And he's anointed king in Hebron. Here in this chapter, he's faced with the first time as being the king although not anointed publicly, where he's going to have to make a judgment, he's going to have to make a decision. So he's listening to this individual, this Amalekite, and he's listening to what he's saying. And David must discern whether this man now is telling him the truth or whether he's not telling him the truth. And the Bible says various things, especially in the New Testament, about being able to discern. There are two, we're not going to look at this in any depth, but I just, I'll just give this to you. There are two words, two Greek words, that are translated in the English as discern. And I'll give you the meaning of the one, and I'll give you two examples. The first... This is Strong's 1252. It says, to make a distinction between. So you see something, and now you must make a distinction. Now, David is seeing something. He's watching this Amalekite, and he's, he has to discern between, make a difference between what's being said, and is this truth, is this not truth. And so um, in Matthew, it says this, Jesus was confronted with the religious leaders. And he says that in the morning, you say, it will be a, a foul weather day, for the sky is red and threatening. And then he calls them hypocrites. He says, 
You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the time. And this, I believe this, the sign he's talking about is that he now is the Messiah of Israel, and they're not discerning it. The religious leaders, remember, they didn't discern that. And then in Hebrews 5.14, it says, but, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age, those who are mature. Those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So the senses, now if you look that word up, it, it, what you see, it, it says the organ of perception. And so you, can, you and I can smell, we can see. What are some of the other senses that we have? Yeah. Smell, touch. And all those senses in the natural enable us to relate to the world around us. So you see me up here, you hear me up here. Those are your senses in the natural. But there is such a thing as having these senses in, or you could say the organ of perception, discernment, in spirit. So that that which we need, we need to be able to discern. That which we need will come according to this verse here in Hebrews. When you're mature, it says a full age, those who by reason or thought of use, they use these senses to discern between good and evil. And I believe that if, if we walk with the Lord and we know his word, we spend time reading his word, it's very, very important. Just that alone will help you to discern certain things. Be it what is going on maybe in a circumstance, what's being said, or uh, you can discern a person whether they are of God or not. And that becomes something that is um, developed by reason of use. That you and I would be able to discern between good and evil. Now you have the, the second word, that's Strong's 1381. And that word means, and this is from Thayer's lexicon, it means to test, to scrutinize. To recognize something as genuine after you examine it. So there must be an examination. Not that we you know, walk around and judge everyone. You understand? I'm not saying that. I'm saying that there has to be in us something developed. So that when we're in a situation, and sometimes we'll be in things by ourselves. I mean, there's not going to be anybody there to tell you. And you will need to know, you will need to be able to discern what is going on for your spiritual help and your spiritual benefit. So that if, if you're discerning something and it's not of God, you don't partake of that. <coughs> so that's very important. And there's two, okay, still there. There's two verses. One is Ephesians 5. Verses uh, 8 through 10. Now the context here, I'm just going to quote part of verse 10 because we don't have time to read this, all this. The context in um, Ephesians 5, 8 through 10, is walking in the light. That's the context. In verse 10, this is how it, it reads in uh, the, the King James. It says, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. So, in our personal lives, we must prove what is, or discern, it's a, it's a different English word, but it's still translating the same Greek word, discern what is acceptable to the Lord. So, Lord, you know, if, if I am involved in this, is this is acceptable to you? And, and really, you know, as we grow as Christians and we learn his word, 
in certain things, it's going to be very easy, since you have been born from above, it will be very easy for you to discern certain things. Very easy, because you know the difference. And if you don't, you're con you have a conscience, and your conscience will tell you, you know, this is, a, this is good, this is evil. But there are times whenever we are in certain things that discerning what is going on around us or perceiving what is being said to know that that is of God or not now becomes more difficult. And we must depend now upon the Lord to teach us. Not that we jump out ahead of the Lord and say, well, I know that this is, right, this is right or this is wrong. It's that we need the Lord. We need His help in every aspect of our lives and to be able to discern because the days are evil and things are getting worse, not better. So we must allow the Lord to work in our hearts to help us, to teach us so that we can see and understand and perceive certain things that will be critical in our walk. And another, this is an interesting verse uh, in dealing with communion. It says, examine, but a man, let a man examine himself, himself, and let him eat the bread and drink the cup. So there is a self-examination, not that you condemn yourself, but not just sin, but Lord, what is going on in my heart? You know, I've asked the Lord that many times. I said, Lord, what's going on in my heart? You know, show me what's going on in my heart. You know, is it something that is right or is it pleasing? And so for communion, there, there is to be an examination where we hold our hearts before the Lord. So you want to have communion with the Lord. The, you don't want anything there. And that communion is just, the, the emblems, it's just not the only time we're to have communion. We're supposed to have communion all the time. And so there is to be a lifting of our heart to the Lord so that if there's something going on there, we will be able to discern that because the Lord will help us to see. But, you know, the worst and the hardest thing to see it's not what's going on with somebody else. It's what's going on with us. That's the hardest thing for us to see. It's the hardest thing for us to admit. It's the hardest thing sometimes to deal with ourselves. You know, but if we have a heart for the Lord, He can help us in that. And, and He can show us uh, where... There needs to be a tweaking, maybe, or a fine-tuning. And that's actually Ephesians 5, when it talks about that he would present to himself, what? A bride without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That phrase is talking about a tweaking of the life. Tweaking of what's going on in you, you know, little things. So in verse 8... This man says, I am an Amalekite. But in verse 6, the young man here told David, as it happened by chance, I was on Mount, Mount Gilboa, and he tells him this, he saw Saul leaning on his spear and, and all this other stuff. My question is, what was he doing there on the battlefield? Now turn to chapter 31, just one verse, and we're actually going to re read it more than one verse, but chapter 31, verse 8. This is uh, 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 31, verse 8. And this is speaking about the Philistines. And they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and, and sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim, it, um, to proclaim it in the temple of the idols and among the people. But there's another scripture here somewhere where it talks about they're there stripping, oh, verse 9. That, that does it. And they strip off his armor. So, you know, after a battle, many times 
the victors would walk through and other people would join in with them and they would walk through and if they would see something of value on a slain soldier, they would strip the bodies. They would take things off that they could keep or sell or whatever. So that, that's what it says here. Now let's just read a couple more verses. Now, the, before we read these, just go back to 2 Samuel chapter 1 again. David is going to have this man executed right in front of him. And it says here in verse 14, is that one of the reasons David says this, has him do this, and David said, how was it you were not afraid to put forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? So he asked this man that, that question. But back in chapter 31, <coughs> verse 2, then the Philistines followed hard. Now th this is the true account of what happened. See, the Amalekite is telling David a, a certain thing, his story. And David has to discern what's going on. Now, when we go back in chapter 31, this is what went on, the Bible says. And now you compare what, what the Bible says went on and the story of the Amalekite, and you see two different things. Chapter 2, I mean, chapter 31, verse 2. Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons. And the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadab, and Melchishua, Saul's son. The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him, and he was severely wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. So that doesn't match what this man is saying. He said he killed him. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul, his three sons, his armor bearer, uh, and all his men died together that same day. 2 Samuel chapter 4. See, now you take these verses and it puts this together for you. Chapter 4, verse 10. Now this is where... David has to discern again be, between these two men who killed Ishbosheth, who is uh, David, uh, Saul's son. Verse 10. So David's speaking here. He says, When someone told me, saying, Look, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good news, I arrested him and had him executed in Ziklag, the one who thought I would give him a reward for his news. So, so David was able to discern that this Amalekite was not telling him the truth. And he was doing what he did for reward. And so he stepped forth and said, have this person executed. So the point is this, that David now is, and he's done this before, before this also, but now it's even more important because he's going to be moving into greater responsibility being leader over Judah, and then he's going to move in even into greater responsibility. He's going to be the king over Israel and Judah. So with responsibility should come, should come discernment to some degree. Not that we see everything, not that we know everything, not that we make all the right, you know, <laughs> No. And I'm talking even, you know, for someone who's been a Christian for many, 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 many years. You, sometimes you, you see something and you, you maybe misjudge that. So it's best not to, to judge anything. What's it say in the Bible? Judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes. Not the second return. No. Until he comes to you, to me, and shows us concretely what, what's going on. Well, then you can, you can judge it because it's the Lord's judging it. It's a different thing now. It's really Him that's judged it. So in verse, where are we here? Chapter 1. Verse 17, David mourns for Saul and Jonathan. 
in verse 23, this was, a, I read this and I thought, boy, David really gives Saul this generous remark, the man who's been trying to kill him. He says in verse 23, Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives. The NIV says they were loved and gracious. Well, th that was quite a compliment. Maybe David was remembering back before Saul was you know, disobedient and, you know, you know, went his own way in all these different things. They're definitely not saying that related to his later life. In, uh, just hold your, hold your place there and go to 1 Samuel 18, verse 4. And this is whenever David is wondering, is Saul still going to try to kill me? And so him and Jonathan were talking, and, and Jonathan's going to go and see you know, what, what Saul's going to do, his father. What, what does he plan on doing? Verse 4, and we know the story that Saul continued after David. So Jonathan took off his robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even his sword, and his bow and his belt. So you see here that Saul resents David, but Jonathan has this heart for David. They're knit together. And in 2 Samuel 1, 26, David is praying this. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Uh, you have been very pleasant to me, and your love to me was wonderful surpassing the love of women. Now that is really saying something, isn't it? That is really saying something. So there can be a bond between two people that are friends, true friends, that is very, very deep and very, very good and very, very knit together. And, and that type of friendship does not come often in life because you know, you know that they say you know your true friends when things happen, you know, where are they then? And you may think a person is a true friend for many, many years mm -hmm. for various reasons, you know, you spend time with them and all this other stuff. And then you might find some circumstance to where now they weren't the friend you thought. And you say, wow, that's quite something. And, and I, I feel that way with uh, Brother Eric. We've been friends for, it uh, has to be, what, 35 years plus? 38. 38 years. And there's always been a connection between him and I, even when we didn't see each other. Amen. And I have that with very few people. I can't even remember another one, to be honest with you. <laughs> Maybe you're the privileged one. I don't know. <laughs> he knows he's the privileged one. But, you know, it's something here. You know, we read this, that he, he's saying that Jonathan's love was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. David has multiple wives at this point, and he makes this statement. So there's something there that holds them together. And I believe it's related to walking with the Lord. That is the best tie to have. So, you, you know, people in the world, and we're going to get to this in a few minutes here, their association many times is for self-interest. Yes. Because that's how people are. You have, no, not all, it's true. Generally, people are like that. Okay, chapter 2, David is anointed king over Judah. Verse 8. But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Maenaim. And he made him king over Gilead, over the Asherites, over Jezreel, over Ephraim, over Benjamin, and over all Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned two years. Only the house of Judah followed David. So right away you're seeing Abner takes Saul's son. Remember, Abner was 
loyal to Saul. Remember whenever you read about David and Goliath, after David kills Goliath, Saul turns to Abner and he says, Abner, whose son is this? So you see Abner with Saul. Uh, you see Joab with David. He's, uh, he's one of his mighty men. He goes with David. He's out you know, in, the, in the caves with him and everything. So Ishbosheth, Ish some of these names aren't so easy. <laughs> Saul's son, Abner takes him and he brings him to a certain city and he proclaims him king. And I want to touch on that in a little bit. So you have this division here now with all of Israel. Now Israel's, you see northern Israel, which you'll actually see later in, in Solomon. You have the northern tribes of Israel. Now you have Judah, where David is. You have David and Joab, you have Ishbosheth and Abner. So the scene now is, is set for, for this conflict. Now move down to verse 17. So there was a very fierce battle that day, and Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. So what takes place is they, they end up fighting, and the, Abner's men lose. And so Abner takes off. And the three brothers, Joab, what's his name? Ahithophel? That's a hill, and there's another one. So Asahil is the, is the one, the Bible says that he, he could run. He was, he was light as a deer, a roe. And he follows after Abner. And in the course of his, him chasing him, Abner grabs a spear and pushes back and kills him. So now that does not sit well with Joab. And revenge, if that's, if the heart is not changed. Revenge can take over and blind the individual. Do you realize that the majority of, I don't say majority, a lot of the things on TV are based on revenge. So that's a very powerful thing. You see love is very powerful. Hate is very powerful. Revenge is very powerful. These are strong emotions within man that they don't have the power in and of themselves to control. And left to ourselves, there will be a means to possibly execute that revenge. And that's what happens later on. And I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's okay. Abner is going to have something happen here. He's eventually going to go to David instead of staying with Ishbosheth. Now in chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. Why? I read that and said, you know, why was there long war, long war between? Well, because those who were, were with Ishbosheth and Abner did not... Um, not believe, no, they, they did not move to be a doer of the word. They, be, they were hearers of the word. You know, they knew that David was anointed king, and they knew what the prophet Samuel had said about David, that he would be set up. So they were a hearer of the word, whether they heard it right then or they heard it Second hand. They were hearers of the word, but they were not a doer of the word. And because they weren't doers of the word, there was war. That's interesting. Not doing the word of God. <laughs> can cause war. And here, I guess, too. So you have two men. We'll just, well, you have four men. You have David and Ishbosheth. Two different perspectives. You have Abner and Joab. Two different perspectives. Now, everybody has a, a different perspective of things. Do you, do you know that? 
Do you know that the last, who can tell me what the last verse in the book of Judges is? Every man did what was right. Not you. I know you know it. (laughs) That's okay. It said there was no king over them, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. And, of course, that is applicable to judges, but that is a, a truth that can be applicable to man in general. And we don't want to be one of those that we do what we think is right in our own sight. And I, I'm, I'm sorry to say that you know, there are Christians that do that. Rather than asking the Lord. See, that's what I was talking about. And, and, and looking at the situation and say, well, I, I know what I want to do in this situation. <laughs> oh, I just want to get in there and just tear it all apart. And just, you know, you want to do it. But if we're going to be called Christians, and if we're going to function as Christians, and not just be called Christians, function as Christians, then there has to be some change in our life to develop, to, uh, to mature, to have the character of Christ in you to some degree. There must be a change in our lives. That's just the way it is. It says in Romans 8.29 that we are to be conformed not to what we think, not to what we judge, but we're to be conformed to the image of Christ. Which means that now we must go to the Lord and let him have his way in our life in, in things that we would like to take control of ourselves. So if we can do some of these things, and we can, then he begins to develop you and puts maybe gentleness, a gentleness. I love it when I see a man who's gentle. Because that's not men, mostly. And, and so these characteristics, they just don't come by, you know, somebody just praying for you. It would be nice if... You could pray for someone and they have it all. But that's not how it comes. You know, Jesus grew in stature and wisdom with God and men. So there was a growth there. So we don't ever think about that. Jesus spent 30 years getting to know the Father and preaching for three years. We want to get to know the Lord three years and go preach for 30. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, Jesus is different. He didn't have the hindrance of sin. But you know, you can walk as a Christian without a lot of the hindrances of sin. That's if we don't sin. We don't have to sin, you know. We don't have to sin. John, John says that in the epistle. We don't have to. So many times it becomes a choice for us. And we're weak because we you know, haven't walked with him. We haven't spent time with him. We haven't spent time in his word. We haven't spent time in church. We haven't spent time with other Christians. We haven't spent time doing what we know we should do. And so we're weak, and when the temptation comes, many times we we give in to it. But that's okay. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, Though he fall, he shall not be cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. So all you, want to, all you need to do is want to get back up. That's all you need in order to help him. Which is, I think, is great. That's fantastic. You make a mistake, he's not condemning you. You get up, you keep on going. So they have this different perspective. And it says in, and I'll just quote this, but all Israel, this was in 1 Samuel 18, all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. If they loved him, then why didn't they make him king? Israel, Judah did, but why didn't? Men many times have their own agenda. You know, they, they want to see things, they view things with their own eyes, their own view of things, and, and they have their agenda. And sometimes you have people who, how can I say this? Let me get the right words here. Are very 
domineering. Their personality is very domineering. And they are very controlling. And I'm looking at Abner. And Ishbosheth, who's Saul's son, doesn't say, hey, listen, I want to be king. Let's get the ball rolling. No. Abner was the captain of Saul's army. He had a lot of control over the soldiers and had a lot of control in a lot of various areas. He was the one, he had an agenda. He was the one that went and says, okay, I'm taking you, Ishbosheth, and we're going to make you king. And as I see that, is he's trying to control the situation. I wonder, wonder if that can be said of me. I wonder if that could be said of Christians. We want to control the situation. And let, rather than let the Lord work. Now that's not to say that the Lord shows you something. You can't take steps. You sometimes you have to do what you have to do. You show something, you do it. But control is a, is a different thing. And th here's a, a couple verses. This is from Isaiah 56, 11. It says, speaking of, of Israel's leaders that were irresponsible, it says, they all looked to their own way. What they wanted to do. Their own way. Isaiah 53, 6. You know this verse. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Very interesting. To his own way. So you see this in the Bible. It's something that's ingrained in mankind. To do things and to go your own way. In the Bible, you see something completely different. Broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, ruin. But narrow is the way that leads to life. There's two different ways. And in the narrow way, now you have to put your ways aside. I have to put my ways aside. I can't go in the narrow way. I have to go to the Lord's way. See? Ecclesiastes 7.29 says this, Truly, this only have I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. <laughs> schemes. Plans, design. I'm going to follow my own actions. I'm going to be my own man. I'm going to go my own way. Because I'm a man. Well, I might be a man, but I want to be a man of God. That's different. Totally different. And the funny thing is, the Lord lets, I mean, all mankind were created in God's image, and they have a will. And it's, it's amazing to see the things that the Lord lets go. And he doesn't violate a person's will in the world. And, and with Christians, he lets Christians do what they want to do. Do you know that? For the most part. Sometimes he'll intervene. From Balaam, he intervened with a donkey. So, I mean, sometimes the Lord does intervene, you know, in certain things. But for the most part, he lets man make his own choices. But the hope that he has for us is that we would walk with him. You know, the Bible says that Enoch walked in his own way. It doesn't say that. <laughs> it says, Enoch walked with God and he was no more. But you know, when I looked at that verse, it's very interesting. And it indicates that he came to nothing. <laughs> Enoch walked with God. That's, I'm fine with that. Lord knows my heart. That I would come to nothing. It doesn't matter. That I have nothing to prove to anyone. I have no position I'm looking to fill or to climb up to. You know, I can rest in the Lord and, you know, I, I don't really care about position. And I don't care about my ways. I want to walk with Him. 
so that I'm not. I'm not in the way. I'm in the way with him, but I'm not in the way of the Lord, if you know what I'm saying, getting in his way. And I've gotten in the Lord's way a few times in my walk. And he's so gracious, isn't he? Oh, my goodness. He's so good. He's so loving, so kind, so gentle. Most of the time, you know, the Lord will come, you know, just like a little child, you know, and you want to get them to go, you need to get them and push them gently. Go, go, go over to mommy, go over to yourself, on yourself. There they go. <laughs> it's so cute, isn't it? Well, the Lord does that with us sometimes. It's okay. Come on. He's just so good. He wants us to go in a certain direction because he loves us. He cares for us, not because he hates us. You know, he, he's tender-hearted. And, you know, sometimes we experience things in this life, uh, other people toward us, that that's not good. I mean, we experience things from people, and what they do sometimes causes damage. But I like the Lord because he's the healer, and it doesn't matter what damage has been done in your life. And I look out here, and I know that there has been damage done in some of your hearts by who knows who, family member or whoever. And, and I know that's not right, and I know it causes problems, but if we can only look to Jesus, if we can only see him, and we can believe him, that in his great care for you, that he can bring healing emotionally to you. And he can do for you what no one else can do. No one else can do. He can see what's going on deep, 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 deep in your heart. Things that you have covered up for years and years and years, and you never tell anybody, and nobody, most of the people, don't know, but Jesus knows, and he wants to get down in there if we could just do this. See, sometimes we don't trust people. You know that? You can get to the point where you don't trust people. And you don't want to get close to people because you think you're going to get hurt. And that may be a valid thing. But I know one who can touch, who can heal, who can bring a person who has been in that clamshell. You know, tight. There's maybe a, a little bit of light at the very end if you hold it up. Maybe. But there they are. They're stuck in there. Not because they wanted it, because, you know, sometimes they say life isn't fair. Because of what's happened in the past. But the Lord can touch and heal. And, and heal emotionally. And bring a person out from that. I remember, I, I don't know if I shared this last <coughs> semester or not, but there was a man I know, and he was telling me that about a woman that he, he went to see, and I don't know her age. She was uh, middle age, I believe. And she hadn't been outside of her house wow. for 20 some years. Oh, wow. Because of certain things that happened and created this fear in her. Mm -hmm. And the end of the story, I don't know all the details, but the end of the story was that the Lord had touched her and did something in her, set her free, and she was able to come out of her house very shortly after that and function the way she should have been able to function all her life. And, and so sometimes, emotionally, people are walking around on crutches. And, you know, we say things to, to people, and, you know, we, we may not want to do damage. Sometimes we say things that are, you know, maybe do some hurt to people. But be that as it may, the Lord can heal. 
you know, if, we, if we walk with him. So, see, he's concerned about us walking in his way. Because in his way is where the healing is and the deliverance is and all the things that we have need of. You know, we're very needy people. Very needy. Now, you go without food for a day and a half or two days. You'll see how needy you are. <coughs> a couple hours. A couple hours. But, you know, we'll take, take for example, uh, going without water. Have you ever gone without water for two, three days? I have, for a reason. I was seeking the Lord. But if we walk in the way the Lord is laying out, there's all these things there that we would not have available to us if we're walking in our own way. So it's a wonderful life. That's my favorite movie, by the way. <laughs> it's a wonderful life. Every Christmas, I like to sit down. Linda will say, hey, it's a wonderful life song. Okay, I go in and watch it once every year. I have it too, but I like to watch it on TV. But I don't mean that. I mean, it's a wonderful life as a Christian. Because the Lord can do things in us. The Lord, I had been going through some things for a while now. Now, prior to this, for three years, the Lord touched my heart you know, years ago. And periodically, certain times in church, the Lord would touch me and I would start to cry. And years ago, I mean, uh, men don't cry, yeah, you, know. Do. you know. Yes, they do. Well, I'm just saying, that for me, I don't believe it. <laughs> There's no way I was going to cry about anything. I don't remember crying at all since I was a young kid until the Lord touched my heart. So I've been going through some things, and I, I shared with uh, Brother Eric recently that in the past six months, Every single church service I have been in, every one, I've been cry I cry. Every one. Because the Spirit of God has touched my heart. And I see Him being so gracious to myself and to my family. And, and being there to help and strengthen and, and just you know, being in church and and you sense his goodness, you know, to you personally, it's just quite overwhelming. And, you know, I just start crying. People probably think, what's with this guy? He's probably so emotional. And I'm not an emotional person. I am not. You know that. Right. I've never been an emotional person. But when it comes to the Lord, that's a different story. And, and see... You can have a testimony, but the Lord can give you a greater testimony. And the Lord wants to do more for you now than he has the whole 5, 10, 15 years you've been a Christian, however long it's been. And he hasn't thrown you to the side because you are having some difficulty or you're in struggle. No. He's just waiting for the opportunity to come and draw close to you. I, I like where it's, what it says about John the Baptist. It says that, that he was a man sent from God. And the, the, the actual Greek there is, is saying this, that he was a man who was sent from near God. And I like that. Because that shows me that, you know, if we want this relationship with him, a, a deeper relationship. I don't know about you. I've been a Christian for, I don't know, 40, 44 years, something like that. But I want a closer relationship with him now than I ever had before. And if he would draw me, I would love to be a man near God. Wouldn't you love to be a man or woman near God to where he could take you and he could send you to someone? Who knows who? Even maybe someone in a church. And, and it's just you they see. And there you are. They don't see you. They didn't see the, the religious leaders that had the Bible. They didn't see Elijah, the spirit of Elijah hidden in 
John Baptist saying see it. Because God can hide his men and women in veil in flesh. And people won't know what you have in the Lord. They won't know the relationship you have in the Lord. They won't know what goes on in here, this communion that you have with the Lord. They won't know that. They won't see that. But you will have something that others don't have because you have allowed the Lord to take you His way, not your own. And you have said, Lord, I want to walk with you in your way, not my own. And what you will find out when you walk with the Lord in His way, in circumstances, you will make discoveries. This is really... You... <laughs> I just love it. You will find things there that you would never have found apart from being there, wherever there is, with Him. And, and you, you discover things. Oh, wow. This is something special. And the Lord's there, and you're with Him. So, Christianity, I think, is, is something, it's more than reading. It's more than just going to church or praying. It's more than just all these things that we think of what Christianity is. We are called to be with Him. We are called into relationship with Him. And that will be the place where you will discover what a Christian really is. And you'll see the Lord, and you'll see yourself, you say, wow, I fall so short. But Lord, I want to be like you. I might fail, I might have faults, you know, I might not react correctly all the time, but Lord, help me because I want to be like you. Father, I pray tonight for each one of us here. That, Lord, we would give ourselves to you in a way we never have before. So that you can draw us, Lord, into a deeper place and a deeper walk with you. Not that we would have all this great biblical knowledge that we would be able to dwarf other people. No, 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 Lord. But that we would have an experience, Lord, with the living God. Experiencing the life and the abundant life that you have so provided for us. I pray, Lord, that we would surrender ourselves to you and that we would humble ourselves to walk with you so that, Lord, that you can bring upon us this communion with you that we have never experienced before. I pray for each one of us tonight. In Jesus' name.